Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. The first lesson this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Let us listen that we may hear what God will share with us. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with flowing streams, with springs and underground waters welling up in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land where you may eat bread without scarcity, where you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and from whose hills you may mine copper. You shall eat your fill and bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Take care you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. When you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness and arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions, He made water flow from you from a flint rock and fed you in the wilderness with manna that your ancestors did not know to humble you and to test you and in the end to do you good. Do not say to yourself, my power and my might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you power to get wealth so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he is doing today. The word of the Lord. The second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, an encounter that Jesus has on his way to Jerusalem. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 lepers approached him, keeping their distance. They called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not 10 made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then Jesus said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord.
So here we are, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Lots of anticipation in the air about where you'll go and who you'll have dinner with and what you'll do and all the things that happen with Thanksgiving. Maybe you'll have a family gathering or maybe you'll be with friends or maybe you'll simply be by yourself for whatever reason. But there'll be opportunities to encounter and think about and deal with the circumstances. If you are with other people, you may have all sorts of conversations about the really important things in life, Alabama or Auburn, Georgia or Georgia Tech. And you might even talk a little bit of politics. Maybe, maybe not. And there will possibly be an abundance of food, more than we know what to do with. One of the things that may come up in your conversation, wherever it is or however it, it happens, may be about health, your health, the health of a friend or a family member or someone else's circumstance. I know this because last year, this week, was right after I had had back surgery, and I was out of commission, as it were, for several weeks, and I appreciate how much you as a congregation extended care and thoughtfulness to me and to my family at this time last year. It is something that I am thankful for. So your health may come up, or somebody else's as well. The account from Luke, the story from Luke, tells about how Jesus encountered 10 people who needed some assistance with their health. They were lepers. In the Bible, leprosy is described as a disease that disfigures and causes, um, it creates separation from community. People who were lepers were cast out. They were de described as being unclean, and they could not live in their normal towns and cities with their families and their friends. They were isolated. There is a disease that modern medicine describes as Hansen's disease or leprosy. And biblical scholars and medical historians debate as to whether or not the description of the disease in the Bible is the same as the one that is known now. But what we know now is Hansen's disease is not contagious, and it can be treated fairly, very effectively with antibiotics. However, there were no antibiotics in the time when Jesus lived. So whether or not it is the same disease or not, it's described something that happens that causes isolation. And diseases do that sometimes. Last year, in the summer, it became known that there was a new virus being spread through mosquitoes. Zika is what it was called. And it was, uh, there was a great concern about what would happen in the Olympics. And whether or not it would spread to the United States, and slowly it did, and eventually it was, there were confirmed cases in, in uh, South Florida. And there was a lot of concern, particularly for women who were pregnant. 
Now, that hit me kind of hard because my daughter-in-law at that time was expecting. And even though I knew she was not in South Florida or in Brazil, even though I knew that, I still was concerned about her well-being and the well-being of her child. Disease has this way, even when we know rationally that it's not going to affect us, or if it does, there are treatments or circumstances, even then we can be made to fear. This past week, I, um, I saw on, on Facebook a, a meme, a picture with some phrases on it, and it was a picture of one of the Star Wars characters, Yoda. I am partial to Star Wars. I know not everybody is. I get that. But the words that this shared, I think, are worth pondering. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Yeah, when we are fearful, it is not unknown for us to become angry at a person or a group of people or a circumstance that we may or may not have anything to do with. We are angry with them. And when we begin to be angry, there are times when that anger bleeds over to a personalization, to a demonization, and a hatred of what that person or that cause represents. And hate can lead to suffering. Thinking about this with diseases, not just with Zika, where I know and you knew that the chances that my daughter-in-law would be threatened were pretty slim, but other diseases that we fear about. A number of years ago, Ebola was known in parts of Africa. Now, every time you go to the doctor, you are asked whether or not you've traveled outside the United States the last three months or so, because there's a whole host of diseases out there that can be transmitted. And as people come and go with increasingly fre increasing frequency and ease, things can be brought back even when we are unaware. And before there was Ebola, there was AIDS. And the fear that that caused through transmission. And before AIDS, some of you remember polio and what it was like when a person in your neighborhood or your community or your church got polio and what that meant. I have heard testimonies from those who experienced that fear and that uncertainty and even a form of emotional paralysis when they heard that someone had polio. Of course, the Rehabilitation Center at Warm Springs became known as a premier facility to allow for the treatment and the recovery from polio. But fear led to anxiety and anger and it is so easy to push 
people who have those things into other categories and separate them out. That's kind of what happened to the lepers. They were pushed out of their community. They were separated. And Jesus came upon this group of people and they said, Master, they acknowledged who Jesus was. They said, Master, heal us. Provide what we need. And Jesus said immediately to them, he said, go and see the priest. That's how people were declared clean and healed in those days. It was a spiritual as well as a physical process. And so off they went and they were gone. But as they went and they realized that they had in fact been cleaned, one of them had a realization, something powerful has happened to me and I want to go back and say thank you. Luke's gospel does not tell us what words were used, only that this one returned to thank God and he fell down on his face. He prostrated himself. He made himself subservient to Jesus. The message translation says he kneeled in front of the master. He went down to let people know he was thankful for what someone else had done for him. Jesus noticed this, and he said, it is good that you came back, in so many words. Those aren't the words of the Scripture, but he said, it is good that you came back, but what about the others? What about the other nine? Where are they? The other nine were different from this one because the one who came back was a Samaritan. Samaritans were religious cousins of the Jews of Jesus' time. They were long ago ancestors who had decided that the worship of God wasn't necessarily to happen in Jerusalem, it was to happen at Mount Gerizim. And they thought it was okay not to adhere to portions of the law about intermarriage, and so they married people of that community. And the Jews looked down on them. They despised them. They looked at the, at the Samaritans as being unfaithful and tainted people. In our, and so this man was healed not simply from his disease, but he was also made whole by being accepted by Jesus because the healing went to everyone. It did not depend on your religious and your spiritual pedigree. It was received by all 10. So who are the people in our world that we think of as Samaritans? Who are the unfaithful and the tainted people that we deal with? It used to be that if there were a wedding and the two the man and the woman being married were of different faith traditions, that was kind of scandalous. You know, a Protestant and a Catholic marrying together, that was just, whoa, that was... I've heard that that caused a lot of friction. Today, we accept that, and we affirm that, and we lift that up in appropriate ways. Today, I saw an article or story recently that said it is more likely that people will get upset if their child is marrying someone of the other political party, 
than they will be if they are marrying someone of another faith. Yeah. Mom, Dad, I want you to meet, and they are, you fill in the blank. Yeah. Awkward. But we lift that up and make that a hard thing. I'm not sure that that really gets into the category of who the Samaritans are or not, but it pushes us in that direction when people who are unlike ourselves, they don't have the same whatever, but they are different. Jesus is really sort of giving a a lesson in reorientation and, and challenge And he says to us, it's a way of understanding thanksgiving. You recall the story of the first thanksgiving? The pilgrims, a group of a hundred or so um, individuals who set out from England to settle in the New World, as it was then called. They ended up on the shores of Cape Cod in Massachusetts in November of all times, and they, as a community, made it through that first winter. The story is, though, half of them died. Half of the community of pilgrims at Plymouth were dead a year later. And that's when the Patuxet tribe the native tribe around there, invited them to a harvest festival to celebrate the food that had been raised and the meat that had been hunted. And so they were able to have their bounty provided for them, even though half of them had died. But they were thankful. They were thankful for what was there and what they had received. Sometimes it is only after great suffering that we begin to understand the things for which we are thankful, the things for which we do have bounty in. How is it, though, that we do gain this ability to say thank you? Sometimes sometimes we say we are taught it, and indeed we are. I have known any number of families, and I've experienced it myself, where children are sat down and told how to write thank you notes. You may have experienced that too. There's always a little bit of awkwardness that's involved with that, and I can see heads bobbing back and forth. You know what that's like. But there is something to that, that we are taught how to say thank you and how and and what it means for that to happen. We are taught thankfulness and we experience thankfulness in different ways, at different times, to different magnitudes, but they come to us and they grow in us. Methodist pastor Barbara Scholes suggests that the healing of the ten lepers reminds her of Helen Keller's awakening. Helen Keller was born in 1880 in Alabama, Tuscumbia, Alabama. When she was a little over a year and a half old, she had a disease, and it left her blind and deaf. But her parents, particularly her mother, 
did not give up on her and sought ways to try to provide an education for her so she could communicate. And so when Helen Keller was seven years old, Ann Sullivan came to be her teacher. And they developed a lifelong friendship. And the way that Sullivan did this was she tried to teach Helen Keller words by describing the object. She would put a mug in her hand and spell out the letters in her palm. And this was very frustrating. And initially, Keller rejected this. And in fact, the story goes, she took one of those mugs one time and threw it down in disgust because she was absolutely frustrated. She did not understand what was happening. But later on, on a day when Ann Sullivan was pouring water over her hand, Keller described that event later on saying, suddenly I felt a misty consciousness of something forgotten, a thrill of returning thought, and somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew then that W-A-T-E-R meant the cool wonderful something that was flowing over my hand. That living word awakened my soul. It gave it light and hope and joy. It set it free. There were barriers still, it is true, but barriers that could in time be swept away. Everything had a name, and each name gave birth to a new thought. Every object that I touched seemed to quiver with life. That was because I saw everything with the strange new sight that had come to me. Even when we say thank you, at the most superficial of levels, or what may seem to be superficial, we are acknowledging a deep core of life within us that makes us quiver. It is an awareness of something that is beyond what we know. It is a, an awareness of something which changes the world, and it changes us. This week, as you gather in your encounters, whatever they may be for Thanksgiving, I encourage you to think about the things in life for which you are grateful, the things that have made a difference, the things that make you quiver. Write them down and share them with somebody. Or maybe even when you sit down at the Thanksgiving dinner table, have one strip of paper at each place setting and write down that one thing. And then if you're with a group of people, put them in a hat, toss them around and have other people read what you're thankful for so that together your family or your community may share thankfulness in a special way. This is the day the Lord has made, the psalmist said. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. May we share God's thankfulness with each other and with the world. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. 
We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.